Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Was I supposed to say that? Yeah. Oh, or was yeah. I supposed to act that out? Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Welcome to the China Shop. You made it. Get inside. We got a big fire sale today. I'm Shopkeeper Dan. With me, as always, is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. We've just given Kyle a big promotion today. He's the new junior secret agent valet. Dan, this is professional. What? Dan, this is a professional interview. Oh, oh, and we we do those differently. (laughs) Yes, we do differentiate. We have Dr. George Adams with the CEO of VentraPoint. Okay, let me put on my professional face. Hello. There he is. Okay, good. He is here. (laughs) (laughs) Is that my cue to say something? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Yes. Thank you for joining us. And how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much. uh, We had lots of good things going on, so it's always fun. So, Dr. Adams, can you tell us a little bit more about VenturePoint? Uh, how long you've been with the company for almost 10 years at this point now, I understand? Yes, that's right. I, it was uh, located in Seattle where the technology was developed is artificial intelligence technology that allows us to look at a conventional cardio, uh, echo, echocardiogram and figure out a better way to analyze it and get more information out of the, the scans, the images. So that stuff was developed in Seattle, and uh, the company invited me to come and be on the board, and then they invited me to come and be the CEO. And, and so we started putting equipment out uh, and refining the technology. And, and uh, then about four or five years ago, we moved it back to Canada because I'm, I'm a Canadian. And uh, it's just getting too expensive to compete with uh, Google and Microsoft in Seattle for, for talent. Right. So we moved it back where we could get good talent and uh, not go bankrupt in the process. Yeah. I was stationed in Seattle for about four years when I was in the Navy. Mm. Very nice and wet. <laughs> well, all, that, all that liquid sunshine, as they call it. All right. <laughs> so where in Canada are you guys located now? Toronto. Yeah. Toronto. Okay. Well, that's a good spot to be. Oh yeah. Toronto's a great spot. So I say that you, uh, this is listed on your blog that you've been the CEO of seven different companies. And I think you also stated that, uh, all of those companies have made positive returns for their investors. And uh, that's, that's one heck of a track record. Um, yeah. you know, why do you think you've been so successful? Well, I don't give up. I think that's, you know, the, the real one for an entrepreneur is you can't give up, you know. And uh, and I listen hard to what people tell me to do, and I make my own decisions, so I think that helps. I know I, I motivate the people who work for me. I mean, I always work on things that are life-sustaining or life-saving. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, that's a big motivation, you know. If you can communicate to your people... Uh, your shareholders as well as your employees that you know we're on a mission here and the mission for venture like for example uh, the mission from Venture Point is to make cardiac diagnostics better for everybody worldwide and especially for children mm. and so you know because the only way you can get a really good analysis done of your heart if you've got a bad right heart or a, or a bad left atrium or right atrium um, is MRI. And you're, you're two hours in the machine, so you can imagine being a kid or a toddler or even a baby. Even about 40% of adults won't go, don't make it to the end of the second hour in the MRI. My wife couldn't do it. <laughs> I, I, I'm never reading one, and I'm not about to go. There's no <laughs> Anyway, uh, so the whole motivation here was to say, hey, you know, why can't you get, you know, you've got the same images, you're taking slices through the heart with a mag- MRI with a magnet, or, and you're taking slices through the heart with sound, why can't you just analyze the sound ones and get the same results as you get from an MRI? And so that was the kind of like, why can't you do that? 
question. And we said, oh, I don't see a problem with that. If we use sophisticated algorithms and we, and so sure enough, we were, we were able to do that. The company was able to do that. I arrived 10 years ago when they kind of licensed the technology out of the University of Washington and we're trying to figure out how to commercialize it mm-hmm. and turn it into a real product. And so we've been at that for the last 10 years. Uh, you know, we've had our third version of the, of the product. It's now super user friendly. I've been through the FDA three times with it. First time they say it worked perfectly on right ventricle and it was equivalent to MRI and they said it couldn't be done and we did it. Wow. They were amazed. Second time was to say we want to expand it all four chambers of the heart. They said, okay. And we gave them the data. They said, yep, we're okay with that. And the third time, the third time was just minor modifications to version two to McCoy kept the version three, but they were significant enough that we had to go back through the FDA and get their approval again. So we, it's been approved three times by the FDA. And the most amazing part I find, having been through this thing, like you said, seven times, um, is the labeling we got. And we got a label that said the doctor can order up this test, our test, mm-hmm. um, whether he want, just because if he desires to get the information. <laughs> I'd like to know that. Okay. You're ready to go. That's it. <laughs> I, tell, I tell that to analysts because often analysts say, okay, well, what's the, what are the restrictions on the label of your product? And if you ever, right. you know, if you're, if you're going to invest in a company and you're really thinking hard about it, you should ask them that question. Like, what's the restrictions the FDA put on on the use of your product? We have no restrictions, zero. Oh, okay, yeah, wow, almost unheard of. Um, so yeah, that's uh, so this is kind of fun. I mean, I've had seven companies. They've always been therapeutic diagnostic companies. The stuff I've created and commercialized has been used 300 million times in the last 35 years to extend people's lives. So, and I was the entrepreneur of the year in 2007. I got to go to Davos and hang out with the kings and the queens and the chairman of the board and, and Klaus and, uh, and got roasted as a super person who saved all these lives. And so, uh, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So this one's close to my heart because I don't think, Children should be stuck in the MRI machines, anesthetized, basically put on a ventilator. We all know about ventilators now because of COVID. Yeah. Not fun things. But that's what you have to do to a, anybody, any kid below about 10 years old. you got to knock them out cold, put them on a ventilator, because every time you want to take a picture with the MRI, you got to stop them breathing. So you just clamp the tube on the, on the ventilator so you force them to stop breathing, and you take a picture of their heart. Oh, my God. That sounds and, awful. And that for two hours. And if the kid makes it through, <laughs> now you know what's wrong with their heart. We get that all done in five minutes. Well, no ventilators, no, and you also get injected with contrast media. So no ventilators, no anesthetic, no contrast media, <laughs> no lying dead wow. still for two hours. You still have to hold your breath when you take So how long does it take to set up and get the initial images? Is that just the same thing as doing like an x-ray or a, a, an EKG? It's in the same as 2D ultrasound. So standard 2D ultrasound exam of your heart. Your guys are probably too young to have ever had it done. Uh, you know, about it's 16 views. It takes about 25 minutes usually mm-hmm. to get all the views. You don't need all the views to reconstruct. Depending on what you're going after, if you're going after, simply going after the left ventricle, you need three or four views. That can take, you know, three or four minutes. And uh, and then you can do the analysis. The analysis takes two or three minutes. Our expert users can get it done in under two minutes. How long does it take to train a user? That's the fun part because it's it's so intuitive that it takes us maybe two hours to go from being oh, someone who... Wow. And, <laughs> and, and I always have fun with this, like the cardiologists, you know, have spent years learning, looking at hearts and trying to imagine yeah. what hearts in three dimensions and all that sort of stuff. And I always say that the best, the fastest people we can train are artists. Right. Because artists intuitively think in three dimensions. Right, <laughs> so, we, we, we've been trained. We've trained artists in twenty minutes. Twenty minutes. That's, like, yeah, they go, that's, yeah, I know what a heart looks like. Oh yeah, here, ding, 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 done. Yeah, so <laughs> your average cardiologist is two or three hours. Your average artist two or three, you know, half an hour. Yeah. Do you have anybody that pushes back on it because they're so used to looking at uh, the other charts, or does everyone seem to really enjoy it? Uh, no, it's the same. The difference here is that you know, like when they go to analyze a normal two D, they would, and they were, let's say they were trying to figure out a volume for the left ventricle, they would go in and actually trace the border between the, the wall of the heart mm-hmm. and the wall. I mean, they would have to trace it. 
So, you know, depending on how good their hand-eye coordination is, they would do a pretty good or bad job tracing that. Often the images are sort of blurry in certain parts of the frame, of the view. And, you know, the top half is just a big blur of the bottom half. You can draw the bottom half, and then after that, you just guess <laughs> at the top right. half. Right? <laughs> but the because of the AI, you go in and just put a couple of dots on the bottom half. You go to the next view, you put a couple of dots on whatever looks is crispy, and you, you know exactly what is on the other. By the time you finish three or four dots, three or four views and you've got eight or nine dots, then the system will kick in and give you an, an absolutely precise size and shape for that chamber of the heart. I, I watched the video that you guys have on your website showing kind of the, the walkthrough of how to use that. So I'll put a link to that in the description in case anyone wants to check it out. It is really, really interesting to see. Yeah, so it doesn't take long to train people to do it. You get an exact, we're the only people in the world certified by the FDA and CE Mark and Canada and China to give you exactly the same results as you get from MRI, both ejection fraction, you know, largest volume, smallest, smallest volume, and all the, and would be just as, in terms of accuracy and just be just as precise precise mm-hmm. as an MRI. So I mean, that's another big difference between our system and standard analysis of uh, ultrasound. Is you get you know, you plus or minus 20%, depending on who does it. <laughs> For standard analysis, we get like plus or minus 2%. So, wow. yes, you know, because, you know, like everybody picks out the same high fidelity spots. Everybody goes, oh, there, I can see the wall and the blood there, here, here. Nobody goes into the fuzzy zone and tries to guess where, where the wall is in there. So you get you get very good reproducibility person to person, and you get re- very good reproducibility, re- reproducibility to uh, to the MRI. So yeah, so if two different people look at it, they come up with the same image. Yeah, yeah, and that's one of the great advantages of yeah. of the system when we when we talk to you know large cardiac centers who have you know two dozen sonographers and a dozen cardiologists. They're like, you know, they open up the file and they go, oh, I see Sam did this one. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. <laughs> and tell as soon as they open the file who did the analysis. And then yet, they do it, put our system in and they open it up and they go, I don't know who did this, but it's, it's perfect. <laughs> so, and and that, that's good. That, that makes a big difference because actually yeah. the variability right now between one exam to the next exam. So, you know, if you've got a chronic heart problem, heart failure, ischemic heart failure, congestive heart failure, you've got a valve problem, regurge valve, if you're born with a heart problem, congenital heart disease, you're going to get looked at every six or nine months, every six to 12 months for the rest. And right now the doctors don't look back and say, well, what did you, how was your heart looking six months ago? Because they go, oh, who knows what, who did that analysis? Who knows? There's no point in even beginning to look at it. I'll just take the snapshot of what I got today. I'll analyze it. I'll figure it out. Well, what a waste of time. And so if you actually right. have the kind of precision that we provide, you can go back and look, you know, 20, 10, 10 years ago and say, okay, this is where the heart was like 10 years ago. Oh, let's, let's look at exactly what's happened over the last 10 years. Oh, I see what's happened to this heart. And so, you know, you, uh, you can actually take advantage of all this historical data. And there's like a billion cardio echograms uh, sitting in data files, archival mm-hmm. files all over the world. That's a billion chunks of data that you could use to figure out a bit more about. And then you can go ahead and just grab all those and make a new image, even though the image may have been taken 10 years ago. Yeah, so yeah. So we're working on we're working on an automated tool that would just go in there to into an archive and just chunk, 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 chunk through it and, uh, um, you know, do the, uh, and then, you know, build those trend lines so when a patient came in you just punch in George mm-hmm. and up would come the last 10 years of all my echocardiograms and exactly what's been going on in my heart instead of looking at the one you did today and say hmm eh, it doesn't look it looks worse no maybe it doesn't or <laughs> what they do now yeah so there's a lot there is a lot of improvement mm-hmm. which is our mission is to improve cardiac diagnostics worldwide for everyone especially children Sounds like it's changed quite a bit over the last decade. I should mention, too, I don't know if we said this already, this is the VMS Plus system that you guys have developed, correct? Yeah, VMS Plus 3.0. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's it's the latest version. We've got it in, you know, 16 hospitals worldwide, and they're using it on all sorts of patients, COVID patients, cancer patients, uh, heart failure patients, children, adults, all that stuff. So, you know, it's, we're early in the game here because, I mean, right. actually... You know, we there are. I mean, we just did announce not too long ago an alliance with General Electric Health. Yep, I've got them in my notes to to quiz you on some more later. <laughs> <laughs> well, the point is, you know, GE's got five hundred thousand ultrasound machines placed worldwide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and and we don't sell ultrasound machines. We just sell our system, which is an adapter, basically turns your ultrasound machine into an MRI. Oh, so for fifty thousand bucks, you can turn your, <coughs> your three hundred thousand dollar ultrasound machine into a three or four million dollar MRI. Wow, for an extra fifty thousand bucks. That's basically what we do. And so uh, they're going to you know, jump in here and start selling it real well. And, yeah. uh, and, you know, and then we're going to need it because, you know, um, I don't know if you saw the New England, there was an editorial in the New England Journal of Medicine two weeks ago by a public health professor from Harvard mm-hmm. who said that uh, his best guess was there was going to be end up with 15 million people with long COVID in the United States when this COVID thing Ugh. gets out. And they'll all have heart problems. Wow. Oh, that's terrible. And that we're, we're going to be dealing with 15 million people with a chronic heart problem induced by COVID on top of all the regular. Right. There are just not enough ultrasound systems out there to do that, to deal with that many people. So we have to speed up the analysis and speed up mm-hmm. the accuracy. There's no way you're going to put 15 million people. There aren't enough MRI machines in the United States or in the whole world to do no. reasonable analysis on 15 million people. So, And hopefully so, it makes it more affordable for people too. Well, it is. I mean, MRI yeah. are like three or four thousand bucks, right? And you know, this is you know the the reimbur- you know echoes are two or three hundred dollars. So I mean, right. it's, not, it's you know it's an order of magnitude lo- cheaper than MRI, and an order of magnitude faster, and an order and just as accurate. So yeah, it's it's we're in the right place at the right time because the world's going to need a, a better way to follow all these people with long COVID. Um, we saw this movie 15 years ago with SARS, another co- mm-hmm. uh, co- a, uh, coronavirus disease. And we're still, 15 years later, we're still dealing with the 10% of people with that got SARS who now still have chronic heart and lung problems. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully COVID won't be, I mean, I think the, uh, that's actually the same number that the professor at Harvard used, about 10% uh, would wow. end up with chronic problems. So uh, I don't think it's going to be that bad, but I'm not a professor at Harvard. So. What do I know? Well, yeah, anybody gets, I think one person getting that's too much for getting sick with basically a flu. Well, you know, in the UK, you know, they're set up dedicated, 40 dedicated clinics now in the UK for long COVID. They've, they're setting them up in the United States everywhere, Cedar Sinai. Where did I read? I read something yesterday about them setting up a new center in Calgary. Actually, in Calgary, they've just mm-hmm. set up a center for specifically for COVID patients, a heart, heart center. So it's pretty well known within the cardiology community that they're going to be swamped with these. Goods. Right. Well, uh, there's. It sounds like you have a competitor called TomTech. I think that's the yes. Philips version. Yes. Uh, but it also doesn't sound like it's quite nearly as capable or reliable as yours. Um, are there any other platforms besides VMS that can actually, you know, hang with it? That can do what you can do, or are you no. the cutting no. edge leader? No, everybody went the other. Everybody went to you know conventional image analysis type techniques. TomTech, TomTech was bought by Philips four years ago. They've been working on trying to bring out a system that works on three D echo, not two D. Mm-hmm. Nobody does. Nobody can do two D. We're the only ones, and two D is what's used worldwide. Nobody uses three D for clinical purposes because you still get too blurry. The images are too blurry and they're incomplete. You don't you don't get right. the whole heart in the you know three D is you take a holographic one holographic picture of the heart. Well. You know, the way the probes are and the angles and everything, if you have any kind of enlargement of your heart of any of your chambers, you can't get it all in the hologram. So now you're uh-huh. back where we started here. You know, you get halfway around the, the right ventricle and, oops, there's nothing there. Anybody's <laughs> 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 guess where this heart goes? Well, our system is able to fill in that because we're working on a artificial intelligence system and we have a catalog of hearts which have all sorts of different shapes and we have this really good algorithm that tells you how to how to fill in the gaps we're able to get the results in fact i was amazed there's a study they just published out of germany a fellow did gave him the prototype software uh for the 3d uh, mm-hmm. product and he did like 500 hertz with it and he was and he was able to get exactly you know, you know mri and 3d and he was able to get the right answer on on 75 percent of them so that's that's clinically similar. If you can get the right answer on seventy five percent, get an answer on seventy. You always got the right answer, but you got an answer on seventy five percent. By the twenty five percent, the you know there was just too much. It was just too blurry, and you couldn't figure out anything. Um, right. But that's pretty impressive, and that's enough to get it into the clinical arena. So Tom Tech's been working on trying to do that for twenty five years. 
and mm-hmm. they still haven't gotten it to work. And you know, so you know, I think uh, Phil, you know, when Phillips bought them, I thought they had, you know, they had, would have had the resources to go after this. But again, they're using the wrong approach. They're using conventional image analysis, and the images are just too blurry, mm-hmm. too often to work with conventional image analysis. Now they're adding AI into it, you know, and the images are getting better. I mean. Siemens, Philips, GE are spending hundreds of millions of dollars a year make, trying to make the hardware better, trying to make the images better, trying to clear up the noise. So you know, maybe 20 years from now, they'll have good enough images that the in- conventional image analysis will work. But it's not there yet. So we're the, right. only game, we're the only game in town right now. Well, did I hear, I think I've heard rumors, or maybe that was a press release that you guys had, that you're in talks with Philips uh, to maybe help them with their TomTech? Is, is there any truth to that? Well, we're open. We're trying to open a discussion with Phillips. I mean, you know, I mean, it's you know, we're working on it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, know, it you know, I you know, I work for Pfizer. I work for Dupont. I mean, there's a lot of NIH, not invented here, kind of mm-hmm. psychology, right? So, you know, right, right. You know, Phillips paid a lot of money for TomTech, and it's going to take a lot of you know, swallowing for them to admit that they got it wrong. So, well, so. They would have done it earlier. They wouldn't be in that boat. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's, uh, you know, they're going to have to bite the bullet and come and open discussion. So we're in the process and with Siemens as well. Now, GE was the first ones to step up and say, yeah, we agree. We can't, we're never going to get this. This is never going to work the way we've been going at it for the last 10 mm-hmm. years. And you guys have figured it out. So, yeah, let's, let's form a partnership. Let's go. So, you know, we've got that product fully integrated into their platform and you know we have a few more steps to validate it and and become a certified vendor for for GE mm-hmm. involved law you know big company process to become a certified vendor but we're ISO certified FDA certified all that stuff so um, and when we get done then we'll launch and so we'll be able to you know GE has I said 500,000 machines worldwide. <laughs> so they right. got lots of customers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, won't yeah. It won't take long before we start uh, deploying these things in, in hundreds. Yeah. Yeah. And that's good. The faster we get it done, the more we, the faster we change the stupidity that's going on right now. So back to uh, the, the agreement with uh, GE. So you've, you've basically almost finalized it. You just have a couple more things left to do. Is that the final acceptance testing? Yeah, final acceptance by them, and uh, GE is just you know they it's a big company. Mm-hmm. They move at their pace. Yep, I'm familiar. <laughs> you know their <laughs> you know their their launch budget for the first three months is going to dwarf my entire <laughs> budget oh God, for yeah. the next three years. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's you know it's uh, but uh, you know so far they. It's been a great relationship so far. When, once you do get that final acceptance testing, how long do you think it'll be before you start to see the, the sales from that agreement on your financial statements? I really don't know. I mean, I, I haven't, you know, we've been, you know, we have, we've really been asked not to talk about timing. Okay, but okay. To me, they consider that a competitive piece of information. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they really want to go out there and blow the doors off of their competition. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, so they're, all I can tell you is they budgeted to be a hell of a party. <laughs> it's going to be a splash for sure. Um, and, you know, we're the, we're the prime thing they're bringing out. So it's going to be pretty interesting to see how the, you know, how their salespeople react to it. We still have to, you know, train their salespeople. But, you know, we'll get to that. It's, uh, like I said, we can, we can train a cardiologist in two hours and, it won't take us long to train a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Well, so one of the, some of the other applications, like the applications are for cancer. You know, I think one of the things people don't realize is, you know, like 30% of people who go through chemotherapy or radiotherapy or immunotherapy mm-hmm. for cancer come out the other side with such a damaged heart that they have a chronic heart problem for the rest of their life. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. in fact, the American Heart Association, you know, has now put out a formal scientific statement, their first ever you can imagine saying that if you've been through chemotherapy and you're on the other side of that, you need to go see a cardiologist every six months for the rest of your life because you're more likely to die from a heart problem than a cancer. Wow. And, you know, they crunched all the data to be able to say that statement, make that statement. So, um, so cancer is a big application. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, when you think about it, you know, we've been using the same three drugs for cancer for 
30 years. And, you know, they, give them, they basically poison, yeah. poison your body for a week, and then they give you two weeks to recover, and then they do it all over again. And, you know, then it's cells that are most rapidly metabolizing and growing and working hard that are most affected by this poison. Mm-hmm. And of course, the hardest working cells in your body are your heart cells. So uh, it's not surprising that while, while you're killing cancer, you're also killing your heart. So, you know, I think uh, we, we have a machine, MB Anderson, and they're working hard to figure out, uh, you know, if we can sort these people early and, you know, do something to the chemotherapy or at least monitor them more carefully and, and adjust, their, adjust the medications afterwards so that they can offload the heart. And again, a lot of it's right heart problems, not just not left heart uh, Because if you're dealing, obviously, you have a lung cancer, you've got... It's, you know, the right side of the heart pumps the blood through through your lungs and over to the left side of the heart, and the left side pumps it out to the rest of your body. So, you know, if you get any kind of back pressure on your right side, it goes into heart failure pretty quickly. You can die from right heart failure just as quickly as you can die from left heart failure. So, you know, you have to look after your right heart. And mm-hmm. and so, and again, once we're the only game that can actually look at your right heart quickly, easily, repetitively, over and over again, and tell you what's going on. Uh, in a cost-effective manner. So that's, uh, you know, we just have to keep deploying these things and getting the key key uh, opinion leaders to talk about them at conferences and everything. And and we're really hopeful GE is going to be able to accelerate that process pretty significantly. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, sounds like you shouldn't have any trouble. Or it sounds like that was a really good agreement to, get, to, to partner up with GE. I mean, I, you know, Pfizer bought one of my companies. I spent two years in business development for Pfizer buying companies and doing deals and whatever. And, you know, I spent six years at University of Toronto doing, setting up companies and doing licensing and all that stuff. So I've seen a lot of deals. (laughs) This one in GE is pretty damn good. I mean, I got, I got, I'm not allowed to talk Uh, about the details, but I can tell you that, you know, the few details I have, I've given off to some of my, my buddies who are in the biz dev world saying, boy, that's, that's a hell of a deal. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, I, think, I think you have to, you know, whenever you're trying to do a deal, you have to understand what the other guy's motivation is. And, you know, right. you look at, you can, you know, it's all public domain. I mean, you can look at GE's, you know, record of innovation in ultrasound in the last 50 years, and, and there hasn't been any. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, last, no, the last 10 years, 15 years, there's been no innovation in ultrasound, cardiac ultrasound in the last 15 years from anybody, not just E. Siemens, Philips, anybody. Okay, it's, we're doing the same stuff we were doing 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they put all their hopes and prayers and everything into 3D, and it just has turned out to be too tough a problem to, you know, the electronics just aren't there yet. Um, so, you know, they need something to say, hey, this is something new. And all the clinicians in the world are looking for something new, too, because they, you know, they have bunches of, you know, hundreds of patients who they've been following for years, and they're still scratching their head about what's going on with their hearts. I, I always say, you know, the American Heart Association meets every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the largest medical conferences in the world. I think like 60 or 70,000 people. Only a couple places in the United States, like the Astrodome or Houston or or Dallas or places where a big enough convention center and enough hotels to hold the conference. And every year there's, you know, 5,000, 6,000 abstracts uh, given, papers given by people who've worked for a year or two years or three years doing studies on people trying to figure out some aspect of the heart. And for every abstract that gets presented at the American Heart, I was a scientist for several years before I became an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And I, I presented at American Heart. And for every, every abstract that's accepted at American Heart, there's 10 of them get rejected. Uh-huh. So, you know, so, and this has been going on for 75 years. So, <laughs> so you know, Jeez. it's going to happen next year. So if you think we know what's going on with the heart, guess it's going there are 50,000 abstracts going to go pouring into the American heart this year to be presented again mm-hmm. from all these research groups trying to figure out yet one more time some aspect of the heart. You have, uh, I think, about 124 scientific publications to your name? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> what, are, what are the topics of those mostly? Is it? Uh... Oh, well, I was an expert in blood surface interactions and neural thrombogenesis, thromboembolism. So ah, okay. you know, I was an expert in artificial organs. So you know, I, I did artificial hearts, drug-eluting coronary stents, endovascular grafts, heart valves, um, you know, uh, apheresis machines, um, blood storage, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So... Um, anything where the blood would contact a foreign surface and start clotting and create all sorts of grief. Uh, that was my 
specialty. So I, I wrote all the reviews and did a lot of I wrote a lot of stuff on that. I was when I was actually the most well funded scientist in Canada when I decided to quit being a scientist and become an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife said, Well what? university to get a PhD and you spent about two years post-hopping and you spent <laughs> ten years becoming an associate professor and now you're gonna go do something else. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's worked out. So, well, when you made that transition, uh, like what what made you make that leap? Were you trying to take one of your ideas and, and turn it into reality, or was it uh, another company that you just found that you're just good at leading? Uh, no, there was a cardiac a cardiac surgeon, Willie Keelan, uh, who came to me and said he wanted to build an artificial heart, mm-hmm. and uh, he wondered if. And I thought, wow, there's there's a a challenge for all my skills. I mean, I was trained as a fluid mechanics engineer, mass transfer engineer. I, you know, see a world authority on blood surface interactions and biomaterials. And I thought, boy, there's there's a challenge worthy of all my training to do. So I said, I'll take that on. Mm-hmm. So of course, the first thing I do is raise. You know, really said, great. Uh, first thing I do is raise the money. <laughs> <laughs> and I. I didn't know how to raise money. I'd been a professor and a right. all my life. I had no idea how to raise money. So, um, you know, but sometimes you, what you don't know is a good thing. And so I didn't know enough to know I, it was, should have been hard. So anyway, I dug in and eight weeks later, I'd raised $22 million from a whole bunch of different sources, government sources. And that's not knowing what you're doing? And I started, that's, started that's up real hard with that $22 million and built the prototype machine heart and that's that device world hearts now put in been put in i think seven thousand people as bridge to transplants wow. and, and there's now they're doing destination implants now you raised you raised 22 million dollars in eight weeks and you didn't know how to fundraise that's correct yeah that's that blows my mind <laughs> <laughs> like i said sometimes you just don't know what what you don't. You're so dumb. You don't realize how hard it is. It shouldn't. You shouldn't do the things. I think that. And I think that kind of is part of my philosophy of life. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, you shouldn't let. Don't ever limit yourself. Like let someone else limit you. So you know, don't ever say I can't do that. Just go do it and let someone else say told you so. Right? Who cares? Right. right? I mean, like fear of failure is is a really endemic problem that you need to get rid of. I mean. And, and part of that, you know, part of fear of failure is, uh, you know, you get, you know, you get blasted if you fail, right? So right. part of my management style is, I mean, my secretary used to call it the, uh, there are no consequences talk. But whenever I hire people to work for me, I'd say, okay, here's the story, okay? You're empowered to do this. This is your, your job, whatever, okay? If I'm not around, you can't find me. You make the decision. Whatever decision is, I'll back you up. And it, you know, right. and, you know, if the shit hits the fan, I'm standing in front of it. You're not going to get hurt. Okay, I said, yeah. but one condition: if you ever come to me and say, "I made that decision because I thought that's what you wanted," done. right? I said, "I'm stepping, <laughs> stepping away from the fan." <laughs> <laughs> And so you empower people, and you say, and then whenever people, you know, then Beverly, you know, things happen. You know, people make the wrong decisions. Things blow up. Even I make the wrong decisions and blow up my face too. Whatever. That's that's something that that that's almost like a systemic problem in today's industry. Uh, that's something that I've always had to deal with uh, when I was still working, like for the the steel mills that I used to manage a group of electricians. And my big thing was, as long as you were making the decision for the right reason, I'd back you up. Yeah, but if I have to make the decision for you, then one of us is not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it works. It works very well. I mean, my boss right. has great teams, and they've gone out and made decisions, and things happen, and I've backed them up, and and they all appreciate it. So, I mean, uh, and you know, I, you know, whatever reason, I've been successful in being able to bring these products through the whole development cycle and into the commercial phase and then sell the companies to for profits to all my shareholders so you know it's all it's uh it's a team effort yep uh, you know, i must i always i always say when entrepreneurs ask me well, how does it work i say well you need a good story and you need a better storyteller 
So I, I look for good stories, and I, hell, I'm a, I'm a very good storyteller. <laughs> so yes. I just dig in, and you know, and so that's, I guess that's one, that's my magic power or whatever. Is I, uh, I want to circle back real quick to what you said about not being afraid of failure. Uh, have you had any failures? I, I assume you have. You know, trying to uh, being part of thirty different companies that you kind of helped start. Oh yeah, but yeah. I, what, was, I, what would you say your biggest was? I never had a failure for the CEO when I was the CEO, but I've had lots of failures mm. where I've been on the board and the CEO just didn't get it or wasn't that motivated or the technology just or the technology was based on something which was not uh, was not properly vetted. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, there's lots of lots of. I mean, and it, I mean, it's like any you know venture capital. You do ten deals. You know, you got you know six of them are outright failures. Two of them are walking dead, as we call them, and the other two you get one success and one one raving success and one okay success. But that's all. That's enough to give you your thirty three percent ROI. So you know, it's you, you got to bet. That's why you got to bet on doing something really meaningful. I mean, I think right. The other thing is, I would say, you know, don't be afraid of failure. And the other half of that is don't, uh, you know, don't be afraid of risk. And the other thing is pick on something that's going to be meaningful. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. if at the end of the day you spend five years of your life trying to getting something to work and it works, and all it does is move the needle, uh, you know, half an inch forward, that's not going to satisfy. You're not going to walk away thinking, wow, I did it, right? Mm-hmm. Pick on something like me. I pick, you know, make an artificial heart. Right. Yeah, that's <laughs> small project. Right. Come on, right? Like, it's spinning seven thousand people. You know, I said, oh, let's try and make a drug eluting coronary stand, and it worked. You know, Boston Scientific bought it. They put it in ten million people or something. Now they're better ones, so they don't use mine anymore. But that's okay. Um, you know, um, you know, I created artificial medium for plates of storage. I mean, how dumb can you get? Like, you know, that's not doesn't sound very exciting. The bloody stuff gets used 10 million, di- 10 million times in a year to right. plasma off and put it back into pl- in platelets and we suspend them, you know, and get all this extra plasma. I think it's like a billion dollars a year of plasma they get off by putting, replacing it with a salt solution that I created 30 years wow. ago. Wow. You know, so, I mean, it's like, if you're going to do, just because and everybody told me that was impossible. I used to say, <laughs> I used to say to my boss, I, she'd say, I think we should do this. I'd say, do you think it's impossible? And she would say, why? Because if it's not impossible, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to do it. Well, <laughs> 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 if it's a medium, she actually said, I think it's impossible. I said, okay, then I'm going to do it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I see, yeah. I think if you're going to do something, pick on something that's impossible. Yeah, that's what other people think is impossible because you, you know, especially if you're doing something in healthcare and you're trying to save lives or build. Something. I've always been in healthcare. Yeah, I mean, uh, then uh, people think you're a hero anyway. If you if you fail, then people are good good for trying. If you succeed, well, people think you're you're a magician. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned the the, the selling multiple companies. Uh, is that is that the long term plan with with uh, VenturePoint? Are you planning to? Well, I don't think there's any way around it. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, the Siemens, Philips, and GE own the space. The three big companies they own the space because they buy anybody and anything that looks new and exciting. And well, it's easier for them than actually trying to develop anything, right? Well, yeah, and they're all all competing on market share and you know mm-hmm. they all got the same stuff you know so you know it's like ford chrysler and and chevy all general motors all competing like you know my car's better than yours whatever so they're all trying to get something new into the thing so you they look different right so um and as i said last 10 15 years there's really been nothing come through the pipe that's new mm-hmm. so we're pretty we're pretty uh pretty new pretty exciting the ability to do this is so unique yeah i think that we'll get taken out all the rain for is some kind of an adoption curve you know mm-hmm. and traditionally that's when you get to you know i Obviously, I told you I worked for acquisitions for Pfizer, so I, I, I did call up the guys at GE and say, what's it going to take to, uh, what, would, what would I have to look like for you to engage and, right. and contemplate acquiring me? And they said, uh, you need about 80 to 100 sites using your stuff and saying nice things about you. And then if GE can do that for you and put your stuff in all their sites, <laughs> then <laughs> that even seems better. I, I, you know, out of the 500,000 GE's got, I think they 
they probably come up with a hundred <laughs> pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, anyway, so we'll see. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, it, it will get acquired. Whether it'll happen, how quickly it'll happen, I don't know. The good news is, you know, we had an exceptionally fantastic good year. Mm-hmm. You know, we got all our debt converted. We got all our warrants exercised, and we have two and a half, two to two and a half years worth of cash sitting in the bank. Yep, I saw that. So we have all the money we need to hit that. 80 to 100 installed adoption curve, even without GE's help. But GE's going right. to do it anyway. So I've got a question from the stock toit community here that uh, wanted to ask how you look at the value of the product to an acquirer. Uh, they said that $200 has been stated in the past, but they want to know if 4D wouldn't add more value. <laughs> oh, I think 4D will, absolutely. The, uh, mm-hmm. the feedback we're getting from the expert panel of top cardiologists from around the world who are who are looking at this stuff and advising us exactly how to, uh, you know, what kind of measurements to make and everything and what kind of patients use it on. And, and three, uh, I think three or four out of that panel have already got the alpha prototype and are using it on cases in their institution as a research. Oh, so you're, you're already, you're basically testing 4D now at this point. Yeah. So there, wow. you know, every, every time we, they do another patient, they, they're getting more and more excited about what kind of information they're getting mm-hmm. from, motion analysis, 4D motion analysis. You know, when the heart pumps, it twists. And people don't ever characterize the twist. You know, like they, like... No, I didn't know that. When, they, when you know, when you... Uh, it's kind of like ringing... So last... So high pressure point, you know, the high pressure, the last, you know, 120 over 80, that 120, 130, 140, whatever pressure beat. Mm-hmm. A lot of that line is, is the heart twisting. Just like it would wring water out of a towel. Huh. The heart pumps as much as it can, and then it gives a little twist to get that last little pump to get that last little blood out there too before the valve closes and it goes through the cycle all over again. And uh, and so people don't characterize, you know, that twist. But that's you know, you can, there's actually was a study done about four weeks ago in COVID patients, and they were able to correlate death, you know, likelihood of death to twist. Mm-hmm. So, oh, really? Unless the heart was able to do that last. Little Ringing at the end, the more likely the patient was to die from COVID. Huh. So, uh, so they're now talking about doing that as a triage type thing. Uh, you know, the way they characterize it, the twist was, you know, juvenile. But anyway, we, we now have filed a patent on that process on, on properly characterizing the twist of the heart and a number of other motion motion things. Oh, that's amazing! So I think we're going to bring that out. That'll revolution again. That's going to add a lot of new information to the cardiologists in the world about what's going on within particular heart. And maybe, you know, it'll take a while, a couple of years before they figure out how to sort people and treat them differently based on that twist parameter, but it'll come. Mm-hmm. You've, you've mentioned COVID a few different times. Uh, yeah, well, you said the question was about value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do I see the final valuation? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think where it stands today, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's probably worth two or three hundred million dollars uh, once the adoption curve is validated. I think yeah, start adding in three D, the ability to analyze three D automatically, which we're, we've already got a prototype doing that. We already can analyze three D. Uh, we're just training the mm-hmm. um, the conventional AI to do. Uh, that's the going back and looking at the records. No, that's for three D. So that's about okay. So right now, when you do worldwide, you do two D ultrasound. It takes about twenty five minutes to get the standard six. 16 views of your right, right, right. four acoustic windows and four views from each window. Right? So you got to move the probe around your chest. You've got to get the goop on there. You got it. The, the operator's got to figure out the best look and then twiddle them, focus it and twiddle the knobs and all that and get the best picture and then do it again, do it again, do it again 16 times. So, you know, we aren't going to have the luxury of doing that going forward. I mean, mm-hmm. the value of 3D is you put the probe, you know, just under your sternum and you go click and you get a hol- 3D holographic picture. It takes, oh, okay. It takes five seconds, right? Ka-ching. Right. So you take that 25 to 30 minute scanning image and that ca- capture process and you reduce it to two minutes. Mm-hmm. Now you can put a lot more people through the echo. That's with the fact COVID is generating a mountain more people who need to go through the COVID lab on a regular basis. Right. You know, so the the world's going to need 3D to become a clinical tool. Well, the reason it's not a clinical tool today is because you don't get a good, good enough image often enough, a complete good enough image, clear enough image often enough. Right. So we don't need complete images. We don't need good images. We can do that analysis on, on 75 to 80% of the 3Ds as they exist today. Hmm. And that means we can you can convert your whole echo lab over to 3D and start doing you know 15 patients an hour instead of two. Yeah, that's that's impressive. Uh, so when that kicks in, then we're a multi-billion dollar company. 
very quick. What's the uh, what's the time frame on that? I'm sure people are going to well, ask. I'm, 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 I'm trying to get the study organized to show feasibility. Mm-hmm. You know that that you know complete image good enough, often enough. Question is is a feasibility study. So I'm trying to right. get a feasibility study off the ground in in a couple of major centers. But you know, COVID COVID just makes everything so difficult. Right? So yeah, it's kind of a kind of a double edged sword for you guys. It sounds like. <laughs> it is. And it's yeah. like, you know, we've got the whole system fully, you know, remote now. We remotely install it, remotely calibrate it, remotely train people to use it, remotely do QC and all that on it. But mm-hmm. but we still, you know, we still need the hospital to be functioning so they can generate a purchase order. So right. Do all that. You know, <laughs> we still need the, you know, the receiving department to receive the product and not say it's not COVID, go away. <laughs> go away, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, it might take a little longer, but it'll get. We'll get there. I don't see anything on the horizon that's even remotely close to being competitive. So, and you know, we've been doing this. I've been at this for ten years. The company's been at it for fifteen years. We haven't ever seen anything remotely competitive in fifteen years. And so, unless there's an absolute breakthrough in the image quality of three D, mm-hmm. so conventional image analysis techniques like Tomtech Phillips will work. There's, you know, nobody's going to get anywhere close doing what we do. Yep. I hope you hold out for that billion. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a opportunity. So we want to, yeah. the blue sky opportunity is hypertension. Mm-hmm. Okay. So actually there was just a study published again in the New England Journal uh, from China showing that if you aggressively, what's more, it's just like one more study, but this is kind of interesting. You know, aggressively treat hypertension. So they took elderly Chinese people who had a hyper blood pressure of 130 or more and tried to bring them down to uh, 120 or 110 and looked at the difference between get, you know, getting them down to, you know, 10 millimeters of mercury versus 20. Mm-hmm. And as you can imagine, you know, there's a significant difference getting between how many people died in the next four years uh, versus whether they brought them down from 130 to 120 versus 120 to 110. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when I was getting my doctorate, normal was 120 over 80. Right. That's now hypertension. Oh, what? I thought that that's not normal anymore. <laughs> oh, that's hypertension. <laughs> we changed the definition of hypertension two years ago worldwide. So it used to be 130 over 90. Now it's 120 over 80. Hmm, sounds like I need to go back to the doctor. It's been a yeah, while. So, <laughs> well, so, yeah. So they're saying you've got to get your blood pressure down below 120 to 110 if you really mm-hmm. want to uh, limit your risk of dying from a major adverse cardiac event like a heart attack or a stroke or something. Right. Uh, in the next five years, and so um, so the problem is, how do you, you know, uh, how, how do you get an accurate and reliable blood pressure measurement? Mm-hmm. It's the same, you know, it's the same thing. You go in there, your doctor, you go in doctor's office, you walk up a flight of stairs, you sit down in the chair. They don't. You're supposed to sit there for five minutes and totally chill out and well even just the stress of getting your blood pressure taken causes yeah, okay. some people to, to spike yeah i mean they're like okay get out of the chair in the waiting room sit down here and take the first thing you do is take your blood pressure you're not sitting there for five minutes believe me the first thing you do no i know <laughs> and you know and then you've got white white coat hypertension which is you're excited because you're at the doctor or you're sick already <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got a temperature or whatever, so your heart rate's mm-hmm. up anyway. Anyway, so the whole bottom line is the doctor measures 130 over 90 and says, ah, I don't think you have real hypertension. You're just excited because you're here. Go home. Right. I'm not going to medicate you. Wrong, right? So, yeah. so it turns out that the volume of your left atrium, and again, what we measure is volume and shape. Mm-hmm. Volume of your left atrium is correlated to your, you know, your average blood pressure hmm. for the last three months. So it's by simply measuring the volume of your left ventricle and as an index to your body weight mass, you can determine whether somebody actually has hypertension or doesn't. Really? In the, over the last three months. Oh, that's fascinating. So the question becomes, you know, how do you, and so we can, you know, and so simply two orthogonal views, two views, two quick 2D views, and we can calculate, accurately calculate the volume of your left atrium. And, and the reason I told you the answers would get longer as we get got more into that. Uh, that's fine. That's all fascinating. <laughs> so you understand a little bit of the physiology of the heart. In the last 20% of that kick is not only the heart twisting mm-hmm. to give you that last bit in the at the end of the cardiac cycle, so systole, but it's also the left atrium kick gets helps the left ventricle out, and it gives a little extra crunch at the end, too. Mm-hmm. So the left atrium is very sensitive to what the peak blood pressure is, because it's fighting that peak blood pressure at the last 20% of the 
pulse. And so that's why it's so sensitive. And it, it doesn't recover as fast as the left. It's just a, it's a relatively thin muscle. And so it doesn't recover as fast as the left ventricle. So the left ventricle can be stretched and recover, you know, almost instantly, whereas the left atrium stretches. And, you know, every time you have a hypertensive series of events, it stretches and it takes a while to come back. So if you have them too often, it gets stretched and stays stretched. Mm-hmm. So I want to enable every doctor in the world, every GP to measure left atrial volume and really start stratifying people for hypertension. Right. And, and that would take, and there was a study done at Columbia University a number of years ago that said it would take, in 2013, it would have taken $8 billion out of the U.S. healthcare if they simply found the people who really had hypertension and gave them a, a diuretic, mm-hmm. a 20 cent a day pill, they would take $8 billion right. out of the healthcare system by doing that. And I'm sure they can double that and triple that number by now. Uh, that was before high blood pressure, 120 over 80. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that number is higher now. It's, it's probably 40 or 50 billion now. Uh, so that's, to me, that's the whole run is to have an automated system that measures left atrial volume sitting in every pharmacy, every doctor's office, and you know, find the people who have hypertension, give them a 20 cent a day diuretic pill, make them go to the bathroom three or four times a day, mm-hmm. and bring, they don't end up in the emergency ward with a heart attack. Ah, oh, fascinating stuff, man! I got uh, I got a couple more questions from Stock Twist I wanted to try to get through, but uh, go for it. Yeah. All right. Well, one of them was asking for some more details about your China partnership. Uh, how and when you expect that to bear any fruit? <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> uh, China. You know, then uh, I always say I never never put a timeline in China in the same sentence. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> China is its own world, right? I mean, once uh, to me, China is a little bit. Yeah. You know, once they get going, it'll overwhelm us. But mm-hmm. just anything done in China. I mean, they're building out their distribution network. They've got approvals. They, the, Our joint venture partners are raising money. They raised, I think, 5 or $10 million uh, a month ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Putting the money in the bank account. Now they're ready to go. They've built out the distribution network. They've got the prototype. They've got the devices in eight provincial, eight top hospitals and eight provincial capitals in China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they've been using them for a while. So they are, and they're working on a major contract with the government to, you know, for the government to buy hundreds of these machines and deploy them across China in areas. Yeah, you know, to realize about China is it's, you know, they've got twice as much heart disease as we do. Really? Yeah, the, the average, really? yeah, the average admission rate in, chi- in a hospital in China with car- for cardiovascular diagnostics were 24%. We're at 13 to 14% here in North America. Huh. So they have twice as many people in the hospital for cardiac heart than we do. And, you know, and, and that's well known. And they've got all this. They just can't control the Chinese people. And they have these risk factors, right? They're all overweight. Mm-hmm. They have bad air. They've all got diabetes. Yeah, they've got you know they've all got they've got all the risk all top four risk factors, and so they got double twice as much uh, heart disease there. So you know they know they got to do something about it, uh, and uh, and now COVID is kicking. You know if COVID mm-hmm. kicks in there, boy, that's it's going to be a real a real. Mess. Yeah, I'm hopeful that this year. I mean, they've given us sales projections for this year, which are significant. Mm-hmm. As well for the next not next four, four quarters, not. Not the calendar year, right? And uh, you know, if they hit them, then we'll be seeing significant revenues coming our way. From do you have any concerns over China trying to, uh, what do you say, reverse engineer your process? I don't really, because you know, we we took us the decade to build those databases. They're all encrypted and everything. I mean, I'm sure if China can hack the Pentagon, they can hack us. But I mean, uh, <laughs> I think that you have to understand. You know, we're the JB Partner Inn is one of the original Long March family, you know, group. And so they all put each other. They've, you know, they've gone through the appropriate channels to make sure that they are aligned with the right people so that other people in China, you know, don't steal. You know, they have their own system. <laughs> to figure out who gets that. <laughs> our technology and our opportunities have been assigned to the right people. Good. They've got the rest to it. And if anybody steps on them, they're going to whack them. So I don't no. think you know, that's the way it works in China. So I think we're, you know, we got the right partner. I, we're just, you know, it's just uh, everything in China takes forever. All right, last uh, last question I got from from the Stock Twits community. They'd like to know more about Doctor Makanovic. Uh, the, the, yeah, yeah, they said there's like just a small blurb on the uh, the website about her. I think they were trying yeah, to get, me to get her on the show with us, but <laughs> we should fix that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a wonder worker. I mean, she's incredibly 
clever. Uh, you know, she worked for many years at a patent group, so she's very sensitized in getting building our intellectual property policy. Mm-hmm. She's an expert at regulatory, so she's the one. You know, we've been through the FDA, Health Canada, China, Europe three times, and every time she just they just put it in and just goes through. So, um, and she's you know she we're all on side with ISO and FDA, GMP, all that. Stuff. So she's miraculously good at all that stuff she does. She runs the company, leaves me free to do these kind of interviews and things. And, uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad we're making good use of their time. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I can't say anything more. I mean, I guess we should upgrade her bio on people want. Yeah, they like know. to know just a little bit more about her. It sounds like oh, maybe she can cool. do a, a nice uh, a piece in. Uh, a type of interview like this where people can kind of get some more of her sure. background. Invite, her back, invite us back and she oh. can do the interview. Absolutely. Well, it's, I will about to take you up on that. Yeah. No, she, I think she, yeah. she, I think you'd enjoy talking to her about nitty gritty of what goes on. Yeah. Well, it was fun talking to you about just the, the mindset of what it takes to, to start seven different companies and, and be successful at that. That's, I mean, you're, very accomplished, very impressive. Uh, I feel like I've learned actually quite a bit just talking to you about some of your different philosophies. So I really thank you for, for taking the time to come sit with us. Uh, happy to do it. You know, I think uh, it's important that we stimulate all sorts of entrepreneurs. There's still lots of problems out there to solve. Well, I, I think Dan might have been wanting to ask this question. Uh, we we uh, formed our own company, and I think we'd be willing to take a step back if uh, you're looking for an eighth company to be CEO of. <laughs> yes. Especially if you can bring that fundraising talent. Pushing out the assembly is impossible. <laughs> so do, do you believe your company is possible? If you do, then you don't want it. It's impossible. <laughs> I'll never be able to understand I futures. <laughs> I just think it's impossible. That's <laughs> Uh, well, normally we uh, we like to wrap things up with a little bit of fun, but uh, I think uh, the best that I've got is that you know, Dan and I, I think we consider ourselves pretty resourceful. And then I also have a brother who's a very good optical engineer. Mm. So I to ask if you have any simpler inventions or patents that you need developed that you can give to us, and we'll take a crack at it. Fifty-fifty optical engineering. Eh? Well, we yeah. we looked at a number of optical solutions for our tracking thing, but we could never find anything that would work uh, as well as what we have. So we invented a, a more conventional gyroscopic approach. Uh, but it's working <laughs> well. So optical. I mean, there's lots of optical problems out there. Well, I mean, I was hoping for something more like you know, funny glasses or or something like that. <laughs> 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 If you has to extend lives, then then we might be out of the running. <laughs> Unless we can, you know, medicinize laughter. I think that's our best shot. X-ray specs that help the doctor see right into the body. <laughs> can you do that without burning out the eyeballs? Uh, well, they use Raman spectroscopy to look at the surface now to differentiate ca- cancer t- tissue from normal tissue, and that seems to be working very well. But you oh, know wow. you can't get more than about a millimeter in. So right, uh, even ultra. I mean, one of the even with ultrasound, the the reason cardiac ultrasound is so difficult is because your heart is way down inside your body, so you need a lot of power, you need a lot of sound, and then mm. of course this thing called the heart smack in the middle of this big echo chamber called a rib. right. <laughs> so, <laughs> the more sound you in you can put in, the more reverb you get but back out. It's like right. 3D so damn hard to get any decent images out of them. It yeah, sounds like but, you guys have made it work. No, we have, and that, and that's fine. I mean, I just saying it. There are, the body does create its own problems about. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's you know the reason why surgeons have been around for years is because ultimately all you do. Only, the only solution is to cut you open and go inside and fix it, right? That's they've been around for thousands of years, but they've only been really good for maybe 50. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't trust somebody from the 1800s. Right, right. <laughs> uh, yeah, well. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, those people used to think that blood was formed in your head and flowed down to your feet. <laughs> right, you got too much blood. We need to let some of that out. Yeah, so, yeah. The reason why let some blood out, you got to hold it. You know, that's because blood you couldn't make blood fast enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Dan, you got anything else before we uh, wrap this up and let Dr. Adams get on with his, I'm sure, busy day? Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you again, uh, George, for joining us. While I wasn't here 
speaking during most of the call, talking, I was able to hear most of it. Very grateful uh, you've been here. Very excited about what VenturePoint is doing. Your philosophy of, of business uh, to improve lives. It's been an honor to listen and have you on here. We'd love to have you back and Dr. M uh, with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll add that in post. Mechanovic. Yes. Great. All right. Well, the good news, Dan, is we tape where you <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, I can fix it. <laughs> we tape the show so you can go back and listen. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> All right. What's the uh, stock ticker for people who want to take a look at that? We probably should have mentioned that at the beginning. Victor Peter Tom, VPT. VPT. All right. The, check it out, guys. On the uh, TSX Venture Exchange. And on the American exchanges, that's VPD, sorry, VPTDF. Yeah, it's on the OTC and same Victor, Peter, Tom, DF. DF, okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to be moving up to the QB in a couple of weeks, so people will be able to, it'll be easier for people to trade it. And we're getting registered on the digital, uh, you know, archive, digital banks, so you don't can, don't have to deal with share certificates or any of that kind of stuff. It will just mm, nice. buy and sell like everything else. Yeah. Wonderful. Hopefully we'll see you on the NASDAQ here soon. Yes. Yeah, I think if we don't get taken out, we'll probably be about the NASDAQ next year. Yep. <laughs> and if you're interested in learning more about VenturePoint, you can check them out at their website at VenturePoint.com. We'll have links to that in the episode description. Uh, and thanks again to Dr. Adams for joining us. Looking forward to having you back going to do it for today folks thanks for joining us we'll uh we'll be back at you soon until next time happy trades two bulls in a china shop is an entertainment program and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company they are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.